Father in heaven, we just thank you that you're the awesome, wonderful God that surprises us. You are the living Christ. You are the one who ministers in the sanctuary above. You're the one who died for us. You're the one that lives for us. And you're the one that comes again for us. And Father, we open our hearts. Come, speak to us deeply inside and give us encouragement in Christ's name. Amen. During the days of communism, the communist government very often had lecture halls in the factories. Then they gathered factory workers together, often on a weekly basis, sometimes on a monthly basis, to give them lectures on the ideology of communism. They knew that they had to saturate their minds with the principles of socialism and godless atheism. On one particular occasion, the factory workers were gathered together in a factory in St. Petersburg in Russia. And one of the most uh, learned, brilliant communist philosophers were, was brought into that factory to lecture on the virtues of socialism and on the benefits and print of the principles and practices of communism. He lectured for about two hours, and the last part of his lecture, he tried to destroy Christianity. He talked about the myths of Christianity, and he said that no intelligent person could accept Christianity. At the end of that meeting of two hours of lecture, he asked if anybody had any questions. And an old man was sitting in the back. He had a cane, and he began to walk up the aisle, hunched over, walking with faltered step, bracing himself on the cane, and he came up the stairs onto the platform. He faced the audience, and the philosopher said to him, what, you old man, you have some questions, you have something to say? Now, in the Orthodox Church, the leader of worship always says to the congregation at Easter, Christ is risen, and the audience speaks back, risen indeed. Let's practice it. I'll say Christ is risen, you say risen indeed. Christ is risen. risen Christ is risen. risen Christ is risen. risen the old man simply began saying, Christ is risen. And the audience said, risen and the old man said, Christ is risen. And the audience said, the audience said, well, pretty soon it swelled to this loud crescendo, and the philosopher knew he lost the audience. <laughs> and with great humility and embarrassment, he bowed his head and walked off the stage. Because you see, the resurrection of Christ is the key to understanding his divinity. It's the key to understanding the cross and his second coming. Because if Christ had not risen from the dead, but only died on the cross and was still in his grave, he would have been a martyr dying for a good cause. If Christ was not risen for the dead, he might give you principles by which you can live, but he could not give you the power to live those principles. But the incredible good news is that the Christ that died for us lives for us. And if Jesus was not in the tomb, he's, if he, Jesus was in the tomb, 
he certainly could never come again. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul links the second coming of Christ with the death and resurrection of Christ. So let's go back and look at 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, because here you have Christ's resurrection linked to the resurrection of the righteous when Christ comes again and linked to his return and his reception of the eternal kingdom. So Paul begins in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14. And if Christ is not risen, then your preaching is vain and your faith is vain. So if Christ is not risen from the dead, your faith is what, everybody? It's vain. Why? Yes, we are found false witnesses of God. Why are we false witnesses? Because the Bible declares that Christ is risen from the dead. And if he has not risen, we are false witnesses of that. And Christ is merely a good man, a martyr dying for a good cause. Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he, whom he did not raise up, in, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. In other words, if there is no resurrection of Christ, then the rest of the dead have no hope for the resurrection. Verse 17, for if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, or of all men most miserable. Why? Because then the grave is a dark hole in the ground then death is a long night without a morning. Then the atheistic philosophy is true, but he goes even further, verse 20 and onward. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those that have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each one of us in his own order, Christ the first fruits, after those who are Christ at his coming, then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. So the resurrection of Christ is a powerful testimony that the grave cannot hold your loved ones. The, the resurrection of Christ is a powerful testimony that Jesus, the divine Son of God, went into the grave and he came out. Therefore, he has power over the grave. Therefore, he can resurrect our loved ones, that father, that mother, that son, that daughter, that sister, that friend who died so unexpectedly, who sleeps in that grassy grave on a hillside someplace in, in Michigan. They have the hope of the resurrection because Christ was resurrected from the dead. And Christ's resurrection is proof positive that he has victory over the grave. Tonight I want to share with you five vital lessons from the resurrection story. Take your Bible and turn to Matthew, the 28th chapter. Five lessons. Lessons that are old but ever new. Lessons that were given in the first century but speak to us hope in the 21st century. Lessons that were given in another time and another place but speak to us in this time, in this place. Lessons that break upon us, like a sunrise over Lake Michigan in a beautiful morning, like the dew sparkling on Michigan roses. Lessons that touch our hearts in this generation. 
five lessons from the resurrection story. We begin Matthew chapter 28. We look there at verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and other Mary came to see the tomb. Very often, in the study of the Bible, we rush over texts and fail to grasp their significance. Notice the simplicity, yet the profoundness of that first phrase, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn. I'd like you to think about the disciples' thoughts on that Sabbath. The last time they had seen Christ, He was hanging on a cross with nails through His hands and blood spurting about out of His wrists. The last time they had seen Christ, there was a crown of thorns jammed upon His head and blood was running down His face, matting in His beard. The last time they had heard Christ, they heard Him cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They saw the darkness that enshrouded the cross, the thunder that clapped, the rain that fell. They heard the words, Father, into thy hands I commend thy spirit. They were disappointed and discouraged and downhearted. Their hopes danced away like a shadow, like a bottle thrown against the wall and broken in a thousand pieces, like sand flowing through their fingers. Had they grasped a mirage, had they followed cunningly divine fables, think about those disciples that Sabbath. It was the longest Sabbath of their life. Peter and John had left a prosperous fishing business to follow him. They had risked their future and their fortune on this itinerant Jewish preacher from Nazareth. But what now? What was their future? Jesus was dead. Think about Matthew. He risked his entire career to follow Jesus. He had a secure position as a tax collector. He couldn't go back to his previous employment now with all the ridicule heaped upon him as a follower of Jesus. What did he think about during those hours, those long hours of Friday night and Sabbath? Think about the mother of Christ. What if you were his mother? What if you stood there and heard the sound of the hammer and the nails driven through his hands? What if you heard your son cry in agony? What if you saw his feet crossed and heard the nails go through bone? What if you saw the blood running down his face? What if you heard the thud of the cross put in that hole? What if you were Jesus' mother? Your heart would be broken. You would turn away from that scene, weeping and crying in agony. How would you have felt that Friday night? How would you have felt that Sabbath? And think about another Mary, Mary Magdalene. 
She was a woman of ill repute who found forgiveness, mercy, grace in Christ for the first time. For the first time in her life, she found somebody that loved her with a pure, unselfish, divine love. He cast the demons out of her life that had tormented her for so long. In him, she found new hope. In him, she found a reason for living. In him, she found new purpose. In him, she had a future for today, tomorrow, and forever. But now, he was dead. The last time she saw his body, it was broken, bruised, and bloody. She turned away in anguish and in deep sorrow from the crucifixion. She could not bear seeing the thick red blood spurting from his hands or his blood-tinged face. She could not bear looking at the sorrow in his eyes or the pain that racked his body. She could not bear the horror of it all. But now, it's Sunday morning. And let's travel with her. Let's travel with her to the tomb. The Bible says, Matthew chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene, and the other Mary came to the tomb. Now, I'd like you to imagine that the Saturday night before that Sunday morning, there's a church board meeting in the upper room. Now, notice I'm imagining this. It's all right for a preacher to imagine as long as they tell you they are imagining. The ones you've got to watch out for are the ones that imagine, and they never tell you that. So let's suppose there's, and I'm telling you, this is my imagination. Let's suppose there's a church board meeting in the upper room that Saturday night. And Mary senses her responsibility. The Holy Spirit convicts her, and she says to the disciples, I'm going to go out tomorrow and embalm the body of Jesus. Now remember, Christ died on Friday. Sabbath came. The disciples kept Sabbath over the next Sabbath, so obviously the law of God in the Sabbath wasn't nailed to the cross because they kept the next Sabbath. But look, Mary, let's suppose Mary says to Peter and to the disciples, I'm going to go out and embalm his body. Peter says, wait a minute. When you leave early in the morning and go as early as possible when it's still dark, because we don't want anybody to trace where we are hiding here. So be careful. I suppose Thomas says something like this. Now, Mary... I have a question to ask you. Who's going to roll away the stone? See, that stone was at least 3,500 to 4,000 pounds. Just a few weeks ago, I was in Jerusalem, and they've discovered a first-century tomb. Now, it's not the tomb of Christ, but they discovered a first-century tomb. And you can find it in a park not far from the center of Jerusalem today. And uh, it's kind of difficult to find, but they've excavated it, and the rolling stone is still there. And uh, the other time we were there in the, in, at night, uh, we had some time, and I, we always hike at night, so we hiked through this park, and I knew where it was, and we went up and, and take, took a look at this first century tomb. But uh, that stone was about 4,000 pounds. So here's Thomas, I can imagine. And he says, Mary, I have a question for you. you got three problems. How are you ever going to roll away the stone to embalm the body of Christ? Secondly, that stone has a Roman seal on it. And it's illegal to roll the stone away and to break that Roman seal. 
And thirdly, you've got the Roman soldiers there. So how are you ever going to get by the Roman soldiers? Mary did not have all the answers, but Mary knew this. God had placed a duty in her heart. Desire of Ages makes an interesting statement on page 788. Desire of Ages says this, and I quote, They knew, that is, the two Marys, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they knew that they could not remove the stone, yet they keep on their way. They knew that they could not remove the stone. Now consider Mary as she approached the tomb. What thoughts must have been going through her mind? She must have wondered how to make sense out of the events that had taken place the last 48 hours. She must have been confused, perplexed, stunned by what had happened. But nevertheless, she stepped out in faith. She had no idea how the problem would be solved. She had no idea how she was going to get past the Roman guards. She had no idea how she was going to get the seal and get that tomb unsealed. She had no idea how she was going to... uh, roll away the stone. I mean, Thomas was such a cynic and a doubter at that time, he could have said, hey, Mary, you've been lifting weights down at Hezekiah's gym? I mean, come on now, Mary, how are you going to move that stone? You don't have to have all the answers to do what God puts in your heart. Faith does not mean you see, faith means you trust. Faith is not knowing, faith is believing. Faith is not having all the answers, it's having confidence in God who loves me and is working out things for my best good. Now we go back to the story. Here's lesson number one. When darkness engulfs you in your life, because of the resurrected Christ, light will shine after that darkness. It was dark, dark Friday. The thunder crashed, the lightning flashed. The disciples were discouraged and downhearted and despondent. They saw the broken, bruised, bloody body taken off the cross. It was dark, dark Friday. But hallelujah, Sunday morning came. And Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. And Mary comes to the tomb. I would have loved to have a picture that I could have taken on my cell phone of Mary's expression when she came to the tomb. You see, in your hour of deepest darkness, Jesus, the Son of Righteousness, will rise in your life. You don't need to understand, only believe. Believe He cares. Believe He loves you. Believe He has the best in mind for you. Believe that in the light of the resurrected Christ, the Son will rise again for you. He is the light of the world that will chase away the darkness. After your dark, dark Fridays, and after your confusing Sabbaths, when you, when you can't understand at times what's going on in your life, the living Christ will rise for you. The stone will be rolled away because the living Christ still rolls away stones. Now, there's a strange twist to the resurrection story, and you find it in John chapter 20. Very strange twist to this resurrection story. Mary comes to the tomb. She finds the tomb, the the stone rolled away. You're turning here into John chapter 20. And you're looking there at John 20, verse 1. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. 
while it was still dark, but light was to dawn. The darkness was to be chased away, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. God did what Mary could never have done. God worked a supernatural miracle when she stepped out in faith. And as she saw the empty tomb, she still did not understand. And here's the strange twist in the story. Christ is risen. Mary has no knowledge yet of His resurrection. And she stands in the face of the tomb, the empty tomb, crying. Now notice what the Bible says, John chapter 20. The Bible says, verse 11 and onward, But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stepped down and looked into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus laid. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where He is. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Where was Jesus when Mary was confused and crying her eyes out? Where was He? Where was He? Right there in the darkness of your life. When you've gone through the greatest challenges of your life, When you're confused and you say, God, why is this happening to me? And when you cry yourself to sleep at night, Jesus is there. And He says to you, why are you weeping? I'm there. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Jesus speaks to your heart tonight. There's somebody who's come here tonight that you are carrying a heavy burden. There's somebody that has come here tonight that your heart has felt downhearted and discouraged and crushed. Somebody like Mary is confused and perplexed. Somebody like Mary has tears in their eyes. But Jesus says, Hebrews 13, verse 5, He says, last part of the verse, last phrase, for He Himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Notice Isaiah 41, verse 10. Cling to the promises of God. There is a peace that passes all understanding. Faith does not mean that you see. Faith means you trust. And in the last days of earth's history, God allows us to go through little trials now. He allows us to go through little difficulties now. We now exercise the muscles of faith because the trials in the future will be greater than any we've seen yet. According to the book of Revelation, we will go through a period where no man can buy or sell. We'll go through a period of persecution and difficulty. But we need not fear, although we may not see Him, He is there. I love the song, Just When I Need Him, Jesus is Near. Just when I falter, just when I fear, just when I need Him most. Isaiah 41 and verse 10. Through her tears she did not see Him, but He was there. 
Where is Christ when it seems you cannot find Him? Where is Jesus when your spiritual life is dried up and you wonder where He's gone? He's right there by your side to strengthen you, to encourage you, to give you hope. Notice, it seems a little strange that Jesus did not appear to Peter. It seems a little strange that Jesus did not appear to James. It seems a little strange that He didn't appear to John or Matthew first. Why did Jesus appear to Mary first? Because He needed her most. Jesus makes His presence most powerfully felt at the times of our greatest need. That's why He says in Isaiah 41, verse 10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I'll uphold you with my right hand. He says, don't be dismayed. Don't be confused with the issues of life that engulf you in darkness and disappointed. I am your God. He says, I'm going to get you through this. I'm going to strengthen you. He says, I'm going to help you. I'm going to uphold you with my right hand. Lesson number one, hold on in the darkness. Hold on when you cannot see. Believe when everything around you mitigates against belief and recognize that light's going to shine in your darkness. Recognize that Jesus is there in your darkness. Recognize that He's going to put His arms around you and whisper encouragement in your ear in your darkness. Here's lesson number two of the resurrection story. God has surprises for those that step out in faith to follow Him. God has real surprises. Matthew chapter 28, verse 2 to 6. God loves to surprise us when we step out in faith. When we make decisions because they are right. When we make decisions because the Spirit of God puts something in our heart that He knows that we know we ought to do. Matthew chapter 28, verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord ascended from descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and he sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, his, his, his clothing white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him like dead men. But the angel answered, don't be afraid, you seek Jesus who is crucified. Verse 6, he is not here, he is risen. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Can you imagine? I mean, I bet when Mary came to that tomb, it was like this. She comes to the tomb. I'm going to do it because it's my duty. But she's still confused. She's still perplexed. But she comes to that tomb. It's empty. She eventually sees the glory of the Lord. She's like, wow! I mean, she's so incredibly amazed. She's so surprised. Wouldn't it be amazing if I had a cell phone picture of just her face when she saw the empty tomb when she met Christ? This is my Lord! What if I could flash that picture on the screen? Wouldn't it be incredible? God loves to surprise those who step out in faith. Some time ago, I, I was in Angola. Angola had gone through a real crisis. It had gone through a civil war, and it was a war-torn, ravaged nation. And I was meeting with pastors and others to encourage them, and meeting with a lot of our university students. And as I was meeting with some university students, I uh, said, tell me war stories. Tell me stories of how God surprised you in the war. 
Tell me stories that, that you felt totally overwhelmed by what God did. One pastor stood up and he said, we were in an area where the government troops were beaten back and the rebel troops had taken possession of that area. And they were in tanks and they were coming up a street. And what they were doing is because the government troops were in the homes, but there was an Adventist pastor who owned one of the homes in that area and the members had gathered at his home because they thought they would be secure in the midst of the government troops. But the government troops had lost the battle, so their homes were being blown up, so that was the worst place to be. So on that street, the tanks were coming up, and they blew up one home, and they blew up another home, and they blew up a third home. And they came and focused on the pastor's home with their 30 or 35 members. And the pastor said, I'm going to give my life for my members. And he ran out into the street, and he said, I'm an Adventist pastor. The gunner on the tank who was sitting in the turret to blow it up stood up and said, Pastor, Pastor, I know the Seventh-day Adventist. They are good people. He radioed to the rest of the tanks, leave this home alone. The Adventists are making a major difference in our community. And that home was spared. And the pastor said, that was my most surprising moment. There was another student that told me a rather amusing story. He said, I was a student at the university. And it was my senior year. And it came to final exam time. And the exams were going to be on the Bible Sabbath. And I said to my major professor, I am a Seventh-day Adventist. I'm willing to take the exam early so that it won't be as if I have any advantage. May I take it? My major professor said, no, every student takes them on the same day we make no accommodations. He went to the president of the college. Graduation was to be on a Tuesday. The exam was to be on a Sabbath or a Wednesday was graduation. He went to the president of the college. The president of the college said, no, you have to take your exam on Sabbath. If you don't take your exam on Sabbath, you will fail the course. If you fail the course, you will not graduate. So you have no option or else you're going to repeat your senior year that course exam will be on Sabbath next year, so you have a real problem, young man. The young man said to the president of the college, this really isn't my problem, it's God's problem. Because, you see, he believed that God rolls away stones. He believed that when we step out in faith, God surprises us. He believed that when you do what's right because it is right, even if you don't know the answer, God's going to surprise you. So this young man was in church on Sabbath. He was there seeking God. The exam was given that Sabbath. The students took it. This, this young man said, God, I don't know what's going to happen, but if I don't pass that exam, I know that I'll get an F in the class because it's worth so much. It's worth 50% of our grade. The teacher collected the exams put them in his briefcase, and was on his way home. On his way home, a thief robbed his briefcase. 
don't ask me the theology of this. I don't know if God disguises angels as thieves. Don't, don't go there, please. All I tell you is what happened. A thief robs the briefcase. The, 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 he thinks there's money or something in it. There's not just the exams. The professor never gets them back. So Monday morning, graduation is on Tuesday or Wednesday. He comes to the president of the university. He says, I don't know what to do. My briefcase got stolen. The exams are gone. The president says, there's only one thing you can do. Give the students the grade they would have gotten in their regular studies if they would have taken the exam. The Adventist student had an A and he got an A in the course. <laughs> God loves to surprise us. Was Mary surprised when she came to the tomb that day? Was she? We deny God the opportunity of surprising us when we compromise our faith. We deny God the opportunity of giving us that joyful surprise when we fail to do what God asks us to do. Five lessons in the resurrection story. The first lesson is this. In the darkness of our life, Christ never leaves us. He is there, and He can still roll away stones. Lesson number two. Not only does light follow darkness, but God loves to surprise you when you step out in faith. Now, here's the third lesson of the resurrection story. It's this. God is the God of the impossible. When you think about Jesus nailed to the cross, bowing His head and dying, His broken, bloody body being taken and put in a tomb, there is no pulse. There is no breath. His heart is not beating. The resurrection from the dead is the impossible divine act of God. Now, who raised Christ from the dead? Did God raise Him? Did Jesus raise Himself? Or the Holy Spirit raise Him? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes and yes. The Bible says God raised him from the dead. The Bible says Jesus was raised by the life within himself. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit raised him. You can read texts on them all. Christ comes out of the tomb. And humanly speaking, that is absolutely impossible. And if Christ is risen from the dead, and if life comes where there is only death, Jesus can birth new life in your heart and mine. And out of the deadness of a spiritual experience, Christ can birth new life. When at times we become numb to spiritual things, He can awaken us and give us new life. When we struggle with temptation, He can break the chains that bind us because the life of the living Christ comes from the throne of God to resurrect us from the dead. Notice Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. The God we serve is the God of the impossible. Colossians 3. We are look, looking there at verse, chapter 3, verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ. In other words, just as Christ died... And the impossible happened, and he was resurrected from the dead. 
Christ raises us from spiritual life to spiritual death, He takes the old thought patterns that tended to secular godlessness and He puts godliness in our minds. If you then were raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is sitting on the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you'll appear with Him in glory. Paul is using the resurrection of Christ as an illustration. Jesus was raised from the dead. We have been raised from spiritual death to spiritual life. Therefore, focus your mind on things on eternity. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. As Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God, which is your acceptable service. Then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Philippians 2 verse 5, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus our Lord. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, for by beholding we become changed. Patriarchs and prophets, it is a law of the mind that the mind gradually adapts itself upon those subjects which it's allowed to dwell. So the battle in the last days of earth's history is not a battle in the Middle East. It's a battle for your mind. And the devil is doing everything he can through mass media, through television, through video games, through the, world, through the world's music. The devil is doing everything he can to manipulate, to mold your mind. But the Christ, who is the resurrected Christ, wants to do the impossible in your life. And the impossible is to change the thought patterns from the earthly thought patterns to the heavenly thought patterns, to transform our mind into the very image of Christ. And that's what Paul says when he says, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is the God of the impossible. Take your Bible, please, and turn to the book of Matthew. And you're looking there at Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. Matthew 19, verse 26. He is the God of the impossible. What challenges are you facing? Somebody says, if you lived in my home, you would know the difficulty I face. Daniel lived in Babylon. Joseph lived in Egypt. But God kept their minds stayed upon him. Whatever your environment He's the God of the impossible. He can do something in your life that you will not believe. Whatever your heredity, you say, but you don't know my genetic disposition. No, but I know the God who can lift us above our environment. The God who can give us victory in spite of our heredity. Matthew chapter 19, you're looking at there at verse 26. But Jesus looked at them and said to them, but with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are what? With God, all things are what? Possible. He is the God that opened the Red Sea. And Moses walked through with the Israelites. We were there. We just retraced the, the, the history of the Red Sea opening and uh, took a boat out on the Red Sea. You know, it's interesting. Somebody once said, hey... It wasn't the Red Sea that they went through. The Red Sea, you know, is at places three, four, five miles across. 
And when that Red Sea opened, if you have a million and a half Israelites, it would have taken them a day to go through that. I can just imagine those waters rolling back and them walking through, and it's like a big aquarium. You know, they see the fish swimming there. You know, somebody said, well, you know, that wasn't the Red Sea. It was the Reed Sea. It was only up to their ankles. You know what I said? Well, praise the Lord. God drowned the whole army of Egypt in the Reed Sea that was up to their ankles. <laughs> that was a greater miracle than opening the Red Sea, you know. It was the Red Sea. God opened that sea, and Moses went through. But think of it. He's the God of the impossible. Is that possible? It's not possible with man. It's impossible with God. And think about it. God rains manna down from heaven. That's impossible. But He does it with, with, with God does it. God gives them a cloud in those deserts in the sun. That's impossible. But God does it. They march around Jericho and the walls fall down. That's impossible. But God does it. Here is the good news. Lesson one. God gives light in your darkness. He's there. Lesson two, when you step out in faith, God's going to surprise you. Lesson three, God's the God of the impossible. He's done it for others and He'll do it for you. Lesson four, God is the God of new beginnings. It was a new beginning for Peter that day, Matthew chapter 28. The resurrection story, he's the God of new beginnings. Matthew chapter 28, when they come to the open tomb, when they come to the resurrected Christ, they have to tell the story. Think of the despair of the disciples on that Friday and Sabbath. Where were they? Cowering in fear in the upper room for fear of the Jews. Their hopes were gone. Their, their future appeared dark. But what happened on Sunday morning? Where was Jesus that Sunday morning? He was in the heavenly courts. He had resurrected from the dead after Mary looked at him. He said, don't cling to me because I go to my Father. Look at Matthew chapter 28. Jesus ascends to heaven. And before he does that, Matthew 28 verse 7, he says, go quickly, tell the disciples that he's risen from the dead and he's going before you unto Galilee. There you'll see him. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples the word. Look at John chapter 20, verse 13 to 17. John chapter 20, verse 13 to 17. Jesus says to Mary, John chapter 20, and notice verse 17 we'll look at. That's the key text. John 20, verse 17. Jesus said to her, don't cling to me, for I've not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. And there Jesus ascends to heaven, and the golden gleaming gates swing open. And Jesus comes back. He has been on earth for 33 and a half years. And all of heaven sings, holy, 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 worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive riches and honor and glory. And they want to give him the crown of glory. They want to give him the, 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 the scepter of glory. They want to robe him in righteousness. And Jesus approaches the Father in that dynamic moment as he rises to heaven, as he arises and comes to heaven. He's ascended higher. And as he's ascended higher, he's looked back and there was Gethsemane. As, he ascended, as he's ascended higher, he's looked back and there's Golgotha's mountain. 
and he ascends higher. And there's the Sea of Galilee where he walked upon the water and broke the bread. And as he ascends higher, he's out of sight of earth and inside of heaven. And those gates open, and now he comes before the Father. And the whole universe wants to give him praise. But he lifts up his hands, and he waves them back. And he says, Father, I will that those you give, who have given, you have given me be with me where I am. He will not accept the praise and the glory and the worship of the angels and the embrace of the Father unless he knows for certain that you are going to be there with him. And the Father says, your sacrifice has revealed before a waiting world and a watching universe the immensity of heaven's love. Justice has been satisfied. Mercy has been revealed. Love has paid the price. Father and Son embrace. And all heaven sings, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. Jesus returns to the upper room that Sunday night. And as he does, he says to his disciples, go and tell the story. And it's a day of new beginnings. It's new beginnings for Peter. And he preaches to 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. And it's new beginnings to James and John and Mary. It's new beginnings to you and me. Whatever your past has been, the doubts and the fears, Peter who denied him, new beginnings. Thomas who doubted him, new beginnings. Mary, who was so much in despair, new beginnings. And the disciples go out filled with the love of the resurrected Christ, filled with the power of the resurrected Christ. They go to tell the story. They tell it in Jerusalem. They tell it in Samaria. They tell it in Galilee. They tell it in Asia Minor. They tell it across the Mediterranean world. They tell not merely the story from their lips, but from their hearts. Their hearts have been melted. Their hearts have been changed. Their hearts have been transformed. Christ has done so much for them that they have to tell the story. And when men and women and boys and girls in Michigan and through the Mid-American through this union, the Great Lakes Union, and through North America and through the world, when we come to Christ and our hearts are broken, when we come to Christ and our hearts are changed, it is not merely a duty and an obligation to tell some formalistic, ritualistic teaching, but the love of Christ fills our hearts. The teachings of Christ change our lives. And we too are passionate about telling the story tonight. This can be a new beginning for you. Light can shine in your darkness. As you step out in faith to do what Christ puts in your heart, He'll surprise you. He's the God of the impossible. Christ, last point, is alive. Christ is alive. What does the tomb teach us? It teaches us that fifth life-changing lesson. You see, when I was in the fifth grade, I was going to a Catholic school, and I raised my hand once. And I said to the teacher, the Catholic nun, 
And I thank God for this Adventist message that I accepted when I was 17 years old. I said to the nun, how long is eternity? And she said, picture the ocean. I was brought up on the Atlantic Ocean there on Long Island Sound, running down the beach with sand coming up between my toes and the salt air is blowing in my face. And the teacher said, picture the ocean. And then she said, picture a seagull. He goes out and takes one drop out of the ocean. A thousand years later, he comes back. It was an old seagull. A thousand years later, he comes back, takes another drop out. A thousand years later, he comes back and takes another drop out. The teacher said, by the time the ocean gets dry, that's the first second of eternity. That's like a blink of your eye. The first, the ocean gets dry by a seagull coming once every thousand years and taking a drop out of the ocean, and that's the first second of eternity. And I began to think eternity is a long, long time. Is a long time. <laughs> Christ has conquered the grave. Eternity is yours in Christ. The tomb is conquered. Death is lost. Life is won. Satan can't keep Jesus in the ground. When Jesus comes out, the resurrection is a reality. And Christ's resurrection points to the day that Jesus Christ will come. Every time Christ confronted death in the New Testament, death lost and Jesus won. Jesus faced death head on at Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue's home. And he spoke the words, little girl, I say to you, arise, and death fled away. When Jesus spoke the words at Lazarus' tomb, in the presence of the resurrected Christ, death lost and life won. At the tomb of Christ that resurrection morning, the last enemy was overcome. At the tomb of Christ that resurrection morning, Satan's greatest weapon was demolished, which is death. At the tomb of Christ that resurrection morning, our eternal destiny was sealed. For without the resurrection, the eternal life Christ promised could not be realized. The cross reveals God's justifying grace, its sanctifying power. It reveals His unbounding love. But the resurrection... The ascension of Christ into heaven, His high priestly ministry, make all that He has wrought on the cross a reality in our lives. This is why the New Testament mentions the resurrection 300 times. Christ's resurrection is the evidence that His power over death and Satan is real. It is the eternal guarantee that sin in the grave cannot hold us. It is the assurity that because He lives, we can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Bill and Gloria Gaither have written some amazing Christian songs. On New Year's Eve, one New Year's Eve, Gloria writes this. It was in the early 1960s. Gloria Gaither was expecting her first child. The couple was going through some real difficult challenges in their ministry. Bill was seriously sick. This is a time that America was facing protests and marches in the streets. Illegal drugs were exploding on college campuses in the late 60s, and campuses were fomenting, and they were hotbeds of instability. It was New Year's Eve. Gloria Gaither was alone, and she writes this, I sat alone in the darkness, thinking about the rebellious world and all of our personal problems in our family. I thought about my baby 
yet to be born. Who in their right mind, I thought, would bring a child into a crazy world like this? But then something happened. I couldn't quite explain the next moment, but suddenly I was released from it all. The panic that had begun to build inside me was gently dispelled by a reassuring presence and a soft voice that kept saying, don't forget the empty tomb. Don't forget the empty tomb. Then I knew that I could have that baby and face the future with confidence. And I sat down and began to write out of that experience. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know who holds the future. And all life is worth living just because he lives. Because he lives, light will pierce your darkness tonight. Grasp the reality of the resurrection and let the living Christ bring joy to your heart. Because he lives, as you step out in faith to follow him, grasp the promise that he's going to surprise you. He's got a surprise for you. Because he lives, he was resurrected from the dead. Grasp the reality that he's the God of the impossible, that he still rolls away stones because he lives. Wherever you are in the journey of your Christian experience, you could have a new beginning tonight. Whether you've drifted far away or whether you have a vibrant experience with Christ. Meetings like this are times for new beginnings. Times for deeper commitment. Because he lives, Lamentation says, his mercies are new every morning. Because he lives, we need not fear death. Do you believe he lives? Do you believe you can face the future because he lives? Let's pray. Father in heaven, one day the resurrected Christ, one day the living Christ, will stream down the corners of the sky. One day the earth will shake. One day lightning will flash. One day Christ will come with 10,000 times 10,000 angels. And because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Father, help us to cling to the promise of the living, resurrected Christ who loves us enough that he's coming to redeem us and deliver us from this sinful, polluted world. Tonight, send us from this place filled with the joy of Jesus. Send us from this place with hope in our hearts. Send us from this place singing in our hearts because he lives. I can face tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.